I just wanted to pass it out at the beginning. We're actually not going to partake yet. Um, but, you know, when we have these little cups, you have it with you. And I, it's one of the things that I wanted to us just think about as we go through the service this morning, what this represents, right? Because sometimes, sometimes it's easy to just talk about Jesus and not really let it wash over us what, what all he means truly to all of us. Uh, and so this represents the body and the blood of our Savior. Last week, we talked out of Isaiah 53 about that body and, and blood that was shed. And the title of the message this morning is, is The Great Paradox. Because it's almost an absurd thing to think that it was our transgressions, it was our iniquities, it was every one of us like sheep that had gone astray, and yet the punishment for it all fell upon him. And so I want us just to have this with us this morning as we go through um, the message, and at the end we'll partake of it, but I want us to, it to be with us as a reminder each and every step of the way of what Christ has paid for you. Because, we, you know, sometimes people may ask, why do we do it every, every month? Why do we do it so often? And we do it so often because we need to remember. You know, we need to remember that there is a Savior. And we, we look at our salvation. We say, well, salvation is free, but it costs somebody everything. It costs somebody something. And if we remove ourselves from that cost, we lose sight of just how worthy that someone is of our worship and our praise. And so I want you to hold on to that through the service this morning. And we will come back to that here momentarily. This morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 65. We're going to be in a couple different places. But we're going to end up in, uh, we're going to begin in Isaiah, our last portion of the book of Isaiah. We've been several weeks walking through the book of Isaiah, and I, I did not realize how much this would mean to me at the end of it all, how much the, the main thing that God has, and hopefully it has for you too, that, that he has taught me through this, this letter, this book, was God's love. Even in the midst of judgment, there is so much love that is poured out in the book of Isaiah that it's been incredible. And we've kind of hopped from place to place in the book but we are going to end the letter. God is going to end this study of Isaiah kind of in the place that we began. He's going to end it with this understanding and this hopefully glimpse and insight into the fact that he is worthy to be exalted. And the great paradox in it all, the great absurdity, the thing that, that, that shatters our logic and reasoning is that God is a God who pursues you. In, in, in light of all of our sinfulness and all of our mistakes, there is a message that goes throughout a thread that is intertwined throughout all of Scripture that says and cries out to us that God is a God who loves you so much that he pursues you. 
Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we look at it, as I've read through the book and I'm like, man, you know, we deserve, as we've talked about some, we deserved anything and everything, God, that you would give to us. We deserve judgment. We deserve the consequences because we've made mistakes. And then he'll, he'll bring a chapter in and he'll say, but Jesus is coming. And I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't seem to fit right there. You were just talking about our disobedience. You were talking about how your people rejected you and they were rebellious and they, they made all mistakes. And he's like, but, uh, but a virgin will conceive. There's a, a voice of one in the wilderness. Oh, but there's a branch that's on his way. And, and, and all of this message of hope in the midst of judgment and my logical reasoning says that doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you love us? How can you love us in such a way that we have a hard time even loving one another? Almost an impossibility for us to love one another the way that you love us. But in the midst of it all, it's been one of the hardest things for me to understand about Isaiah is how do you articulate a God that is so incredible like our God? How do you speak a message that is worthy of representing the greatness of who God is? Because in light of everything, and when we deserve all that we deserve, he says, listen, but I, I love you. There is a savior to come, and he, to come. He says, he talks about from time to time about how there's gonna be greater days and you, you're reading through and you're like, I'm judgment, judgment, but there's greater days, he says. There is a day coming where the sun won't be your light, but the glory of God will be your light. Where mourning will cease and, 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 and joy will be there forever. There is a, a hope for the future, even for a people that have been so rebellious. And it is honestly one of the greatest pictures of love that I have ever seen is the love that God expresses to me and to us when I know that we deserve something else. I, I, I have had such a hard time understanding that. But God is a God who loves and God is a God who pursues. So we're gonna be in Isaiah 65, verse, starting in verse number one. If we can stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's word, if you are able, if you could stand with me, uh, we will read just four verses in Isaiah 65, verses one through four. And we're gonna look at a king who pursues us, a, the great paradox in scripture. He says in verse number one of Isaiah 65, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation which did not call on my name. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face. Offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks who sit among graves and spend the night in secret, secret places who eat swine's flesh and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we praise you for the greatness of who you are. 
And Lord, we just, I just ask that we, you would just allow us to see the greatness of who you are today. To behold your glory, to, to worship you in, in spirit and in truth, and just to be still, admiring and honoring you with our worship. As we remember the greatness of who you are. Thank you for your grace and mercy, for your great love for us. Thank you for your faithfulness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you all may be seated. Uh, thank you so much. So the first point this morning is this, a king who pursues. Uh, and so I, I was reading, you know, Isaiah has 66 chapters. This is 65. So we're not going to cover all chapters, but we almost got there, right? Um, and so uh, I, I got to this chapter 65 and I thought, you know, what an amazing picture this is of God, a king who pursues. Because in all reality, as we began the whole study of Isaiah, what did we say? We said, God is is a king like no other God. He is a king like no other, like no other king in all of history because no other king in history is a king that goes after their subjects, right? No other king in history is a king that, that, that pursues and that loves even when they don't obey, even when they don't listen. As a matter of fact, a lot of times the kings, especially in the pagan world, ruled with an iron fist. You just didn't go into the presence of a king and get your way. A king was the authority. And so when you look at God in Isaiah, you see that God is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that is most high. He is the most high God, uh, as El Elyon, the name of God tells us. And so he is the, the, the highest king that there will ever be. And yet what he finds more than any other king is rebellious people that are, are serving is rebellious people that are going after him. He finds he has more rebellion than any other king in all of time. I would stand to reason that that's the case. Uh, and so we go to 65 after the whole book of Isaiah has been had prophesied to us and God has revealed himself to us as exalted. And we see in verse number one that, that the king pursues us. He says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation which did not call on my name. And so we see that, that God is making himself available for a people that is not even looking for him. Now let's take a moment to just think about that. The God of the universe loves us so much that he makes himself available for us when so many times we're not even looking for him. And, and as you think about that, you think, how, what must that look like to God? What must it look like for a people um, that, that are so rebellious for a people? Now you think about it even in our life today. How many times are we so busy that we're not even looking for him? And God, all these years ago, said, listen, I have reached out to my people. I have stretched out my hands. I have made myself available, and they weren't even looking. And I look at that, and you say, but he is the king. How is this possible? But it's possible because his love for you is more than we can even understand. 
And, and so many times we feel, and I can just feel this in people. I'm sure you can as well. We feel like we are uncared for. We can so easily fall in this depression, uh, in this state of depression where we think nobody cares, no one loves us, no one even is concerned about us at all. And this world can really make you feel like beat down and beat up. And then you go to scripture and you're like, but there is a God in heaven. That regardless of what the world says about you, loves you so much that we cannot even understand it. There is a king on the throne of all of the universe that even though there is a lot of people that haven't even begun to try to seek him, even though all of us in this room, we could probably honestly say, spend a lot of our time and days not even paying attention to him. Not even acknowledging him for what, what he has done. Really, every day of our life should be a day that we are praising the King of Kings because he knows who we are. There is not a greater truth in all scripture than that the God of the universe knows who you are. He sees you right where you are. He sees what you're going through. And yet so many times he stretches out his hands. So many times he answers our prayers. So many times he guides us in the direction he would have us to go only to have us do what? No, God, I think I know best. I know what you're saying, God. I know the, the doors that you're opening. I'm praying for this. I'm really seeking you, but I really don't like the answer you're giving me. So I'm going to choose to do it my own way anyway. A God, the king, could you imagine stretching out his hands to his people and saying, I love you so much that I have made myself available only to have his people give him the cold shoulder and do their own thing. You know, he says in verse number two at the latter part, I have spread out my hands all day long to have a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. Following their own thoughts. Now, I thought about that because in Isaiah 55, he says this about following your own thoughts. He says in verse number eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh-oh, Right? If we are following our own thoughts, and how many times do we do that? How many times in the realm of our logic and reasoning do we allow our own thoughts to dominate our decision-making? So, so we, we, we decide things by what we think is best. By, by our heart, we follow our heart. That's, a, that's a, a saying that it goes throughout our time, follow your heart. We follow what we think is best, but then you go to the word of God and he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and you're like, oh no. Nor, he says, are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, are my thoughts than your thoughts. So he says, every person they're following, they walk in a way that is not good, and they follow their own thoughts. And so many times it leads us to this place where we just feel like that we're unworthy. That this, this gospel and this word, this book, it can't be true because I've just, I am a wreck. And I'll be honest with you, even, even times when I'm coming to church and I'm preparing to preach, I feel that so much. I feel like I'm just a wreck. 
I mean, my, my, my mind is all over the place. My heart is so scattered. I'm, I immediately, it's like in, I wake up in the morning and I'm bombarded with the responsibilities for the week to come. Isn't that crazy? Sunday morning, I wake up and all of a sudden, it's just this plethora of, of, of activity that's going on in this squirrely mind of mine that says, you need to be thinking about everything. How are you gonna get to everything this week? And, and it's like the Spirit of God has to give me a, a love tap, okay, and say, listen, it's not, this day is not about what's coming up for you. I told you not to worry about tomorrow. You worship me today. You need to have a spirit of worship. Don't allow those things to dominate. So many times we feel like a wreck. We look at these, these passages and we see that, that the king pursues us, that he, he loves us. And we say to ourselves, and I've heard people say this recently, well, we're just not worthy. Like, why would he do that? Why, why, how can we do anything for him? Because we are not worthy. And I want to tell you in all truth and honesty, that is absolutely correct. However, he is worthy. However, he loves you even though we are not worthy. Even though he, he cares for you and, and he made himself available for you and, and he expressed his love all throughout scripture for you and for me, even though we're not worthy. He, he walks beside of you. He shepherds you as a, as, a, as a shepherd shepherds his sheep. He protects you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with you even in the valley of the shadow of death. And we say, well, we're not worthy. And that is so true. But that doesn't change who God is. You see, that is the beauty in the story uh, and in all of scripture is that there is this thread. Yes, there's judgment. Yes, there's tragedy. Yes, there's difficulty. But there is this thread of God's incredible love. And at the end, when I was blessed to finish the book of Isaiah, the main thing that stuck out in all of the book was God loves us diligently. Passionately, God loves us. It's so much so that, that he pursues. And let me tell you something. I know a thing or two about pursuing something that I love. There's a young lady right here. Raise your hand, young lady. Don't be ashamed. Zaley raised her hand. But she makes fun of me for it, and that's okay. Y'all probably make fun of me for things too, and I'm okay. I'm beyond that. But I pursued that young lady on and off for years, right? She thought that if she just played hard to get, that it would drive me away. She had no idea the level of persistence that she was dealing with. And I didn't even know the level of persistence that she was dealing with. Until the Lord led me across the sea to Africa. And then he must have put in her heart as well that it was time. <laughs> and so the rest is pretty much history, as they say. But, but the love that I had for her, even when we were friends, was a love that was enough to say that even when she rejected, I wasn't going to 
turn away. I would maybe give her a break for a time, but I was coming back and she needed to be ready for that. It was a love because when we truly love, we do pursue. And so I would pursue and then my pursuit sometimes can be overwhelming to people. Don't say amen or agree, but my pursuit can be overwhelming to people. So I pursue and then I would pull back. I would pursue and then I would pull back until eventually it wore her down. And she had no other choice but to say, you know what? I'm just tired of you. So yes, fine. Let's give it a shot. But you know, I think about that with God. How often has God pursued us even when we haven't given him the time of day? How, how much does God come after us even when we are sinful? We are rebellious. We are disobedient. He may perform miracles right in front of us and yet we don't even pay attention to him. But then when we get in that time of trouble, who's there? God's there. Look at the history of his people. How many times did they turn their shoulder to him? How many times did they reject him? How many times did they go after other gods? The whole book of Judges is a book about a God who pursues his people and his people will get it right for a minute, but then they'll, they'll get it wrong for years and years and find themselves in, in, in trouble and in bondage and in slavery and crying out. And who shows up? God shows up. How many times have I made the same mistakes that I've made multiple times before and do it again? How many times have I created my own path and got completely off of God's path for my life? How many times have I chosen because of my own thoughts, my own ways and denied what he was trying to get me to do? But then you read passages like he leaves the 99 for the one. Like he, he, he rescues the broken. Then you read passages like John 10 where it talks about him as the good shepherd and you say that even though we have done what we have done, he pursues. And all throughout scripture, really, what is he doing? He is pursuing all throughout scripture. And I want you to hear this. What is he doing? He is making a way for you and I to spend eternity with him in heaven. He is making a way for you and I to be reconciled to himself and, and by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, he tells about the suffering servant. Everything that Jesus suffered was for nothing that he had done wrong. Everything was because of what we have done. All throughout scripture, what's God do? Even from the beginning, he wants to fellowship with you. When Adam and Eve was created before they kind of messed things up, not kind of, before they messed things up, what did they do? They walked with God in the garden. 
Can you you even fathom how great that is, that we serve a God who loves us so much that he wants a relationship, that he makes a way that we can have a relationship with him? Do you know, even if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, even if you're here this morning and you can say that I have turned a blind eye to God, I have honestly not been doing what God has commanded me to do, that God still wants a relationship with you. Now you think about that. How many times at the first offense do we cut people off and say, I don't want a relationship with you anymore? How many times, I mean, much less 70 times seven to forgive. How many, how many of us have given folks in our life that many chances to do us wrong or, or to offend us and we continue to come back? forgiven and loving. But that's what God's done. Glory to his name. All throughout scripture is a love story of how God is trying to get people's attention, how God is trying to to, to cry out of his word to you to say that I love you. He's crying out, reaching out of the scriptures to say I have done everything. I have outstretched my hands. I have reached out. I have made myself available for you because I love you and I want to know you. But we live in this realm so often that we are going to wait till tomorrow to do what we need to do for God today. So God, thank you for convicting me, but I'll get to it tomorrow. Thank you, God, for leading me. Thank you for doing this, but I'll praise you tomorrow. Lord, that preacher on Sunday went so long that I feel like I've got all I can handle today. So I'll have to move this till tomorrow to worship. I'll have to get to it tomorrow. But the whole Bible, and I want to show you that this morning as as quickly as we can. The whole Bible is a love story of God trying to make himself available for you trying to reveal himself. Let's go to John chapter one. Uh, you know, in, uh, in all of the book of Isaiah, one of the ones that, that pop out of the pages more than any other is this fellow named Jesus of God, God foretelling that, that he was gonna send his son to die on the cross for our sins. God telling us that there was hope to come even in the midst of our sin and disobedience, even in the midst of the judgment that we deserve. And he was saying that I love you and I've got brighter things in store for my children. I've got things prepared for you, for those that follow me. And then we see that that holds true all of scripture, that God knew what he was going to do 700 years before he ever did it. He knew what he had in store, that he was going to need to send a rescuer because we are rebellious people. He knew that he had to, to be the initiation. He had to be the one because we couldn't handle it on our own. And so in John chapter one, this beautiful gospel of John, this is what it tells us about that moment when that hope stepped foot on this earth. We know that time, life didn't begin when he stepped foot on this earth for him. It says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things uh, came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Therefore came a man, um, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light which John or Isaiah foretold about. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. Now here's the thing, here it is. So as if the love wasn't enough in Isaiah, when, in the Old Testament when he prophesied and he said, as king, I, I stretched my hands out. As king, I, I reached out, I revealed myself, I made myself uh, available to you. He says, even though we rejected and we rebelled, that wasn't the end. He was in the world. This this word, this savior, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So you see, not only is, is, is it a king that pursues, but it's also a pursuit like no other because in his pursuit, he doesn't stop in the Old Testament as, as king. He says, look, they still are not getting it. They go through this time of, of judgment and captivity of 70 years. They go through this time of 400 years, the intertestamental period, and then all of a sudden comes on the scene who? God himself in the flesh. The king said, you know what? They're still not, I, I need to go and pay for them. <laughs> what king does that? Right? What leader does that ever? In all of time, what leader does that? Who else is like our God? Who else is like our king? I mean, not only as if he hadn't done enough, right? He created man in a garden of perfection, right? I mean, it was, it was beautiful. He dwelled with them. He was among them. He gave them the best situation, the best circumstances. He said only one word, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that one thing we couldn't even keep. And ever since then, he has revealed himself. He has loved. He has made himself apparent and evident. And mankind has rejected, rejected, rejected. And to the point that we look at that and we say, you've done everything that you could possibly do. But the love of God is so much greater than what we can understand. Because he, he, he always takes, it's always greater than what we can imagine. Not only did he, he, did, he didn't stop there, but he took on flesh and dwelt among us. It says that we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The love of God that pursues is truly like no other because he says, look, even though they don't get it, even though I've been faithful, even though I've revealed myself, I'm going to do more, right? I'm going to actually come down for them. I'm going to come in their place so that they can see and behold the glory and they can be changed. 
They can be redeemed. Unfortunately, our rebellious nature, our sinful nature, you see that, that he came to his own and those that were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I believe this one day. I think in, in church services, online services, that there are many people across this land that hears the gospel. You know, Andrew and I are blessed to do a podcast and it's a cool thing because it can tell you there are people in other countries that, that listen to that podcast and it'll give you that whole breakdown of that. And I think how amazing is it that we have the privilege through technology to reach other countries by, with the gospel by just recording a podcast up in that upper room up there. I just gave away our secret place. Yeah, I can't take it back now. It's out there. How amazing is that? But you know, despite all that God has done to pursue, there's still people, there's still some of you, even probably out there, that just will not submit and surrender. Despite the number of times, I think about the school ministry, I think about even Good News Club as, it, as we look to start Good News Club tomorrow and we share the gospel week after week. There are people here that have maybe heard the gospel that don't know Jesus time and time again. We behold his glory. He has revealed himself to us, but he came into his own and his own did not receive him. They did not know him. How many people even in your lives around you have heard the gospel, have you've proclaimed the truth of Jesus and yet they still don't know him. What's it going to look like for them one day? And it's almost a heartbreaking reality, isn't it? What's it going to look like for them one day when they stand before him after he has revealed his great love in all of scripture, after he has pursued us in the incredible way that he has, when we stand before him and have to come face to face with the one that we never got our life right with? We are without excuse, aren't we? If ever there's been a message that's clear, it's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If ever there's a truth that's clear, you know, this is missions month. I talked to a Nepali pastor last week and he said, why do, why do we talk about missions? Why do we talk about sharing the gospel? Why is that such a push? It's always a push. He said, there are people in the villages of Nepal that have never heard about Jesus Christ. There are people that are so far off the beaten path that you have to walk through the mountains in order to get to these little villages. And he told me that and my mind was blown because I was thinking to myself, how is that possible? In the world of technology, in the world we live in, we know oftentimes it's out of sight, out of mind that they are there. But what are we, what are we doing with those that are there? There are people in our world today that have never heard about Jesus. They don't know the gospel. Why do we go? Why are we encouraged to move? Why, as Mark Snowden said, do we need to be like lizards, right? And moving and scurrying because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will come to the Father but through him. And there are still people that don't know. 
But then there's also people that know and that continue with this false sense of security that I'll take care of it tomorrow. But you don't know what your tomorrow looks like. There are people here that are sitting here probably. There are people that are online who say, I know I need to be better. A lot of times I know I need to get into church. I know I need to serve him more. I know there's a bigger purpose. He's worthy of more worship. He's worthy of more praise. And we spend all of our lives knowing that it needs to be better without any steps forward into making that happen for his glory. And what do we say? I'll take care of it tomorrow. You know, one of the things I found in nursing home ministry is this. People often, when their time on this earth is getting close, they spend a lot of time reflecting on what they've done. The one thing that sticks out is what they've done for Christ. If they are a child of God. But another thing is, so many of them live with regret because they wasted so many years and didn't give God their time, their effort, their energy that he is worthy of. And I'm bound, I I so was convicted by that and troubled by that because I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, Lord, I wish I would have done more for you. We We don't want to get to that place where we lose all this time and we know, and some of us in church and we know and we hear and we understand his great love and we understand his great sacrifice and then we just continue to put it off. He is not worthy of that. He is worthy of much more because glory to God, he didn't give us what we are worthy of. Instead, he gave us a son, which is definitely not what we're worthy of. And so all throughout scripture, we see that the king pursues and it is, it is a pursuit like no other. And, and then we see in Luke chapter 22 that it was a pursuit with an expected end because it was not a pursuit blindly uh, followed, but it was a pursuit that he completely understood what he was doing. He completely understood every component to it. He knew when Jesus stepped on this earth, he knew exactly what he was coming to do. So it was with an expected end. And so many times we live in this realm where we actually don't know how it's going to end. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's coming five minutes from now, but we live in this disguise of assumption where we say, well, I'll take care of it then. But you don't know if then is even going to be a reality. It was with an expected end. Look at Luke 22 verse 14. And this is where we come to today. We're going to read this and then we're going to celebrate what our Savior has done with the Lord's Supper. It said, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. 
And I wanted to come to Luke because the way Luke phrases it is a little different than the others because he brings it right to you and he brings it to me. It says this in verse 17, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body. And this is the reason I I feel like the Lord led us to Luke, which is given for you. It was given for you. So as we, as, we, as we think about this cup and as we think about partaking of the Lord's Supper, we think about the blood and the body that this represents, we have to connect ourselves to that representation. We have to look at that and see that it is a progression of God's love story in all of Scripture because he came down, took on flesh, and paid a price for you and for me. Just like we talked about last week, that those transgressions and iniquities and sheep going astray, that he endured all of the abuse so that we could be free. And so he said, this is my body broken, giving for you this, do this in remembrance of me. In verse number 20, he says, in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me, uh, uh, is, is with mine on the table. For indeed, the son of man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who is going to do this thing. His body was broken for you and for me. His blood was spilled to the last drop for you. And here's the real kicker. Was Judas at that table? Yeah. An expected end. Did Jesus know that Judas was the one to betray him? but he died for him anyway. You know, in John's account, it talks about that he he washed the disciples' feet. Was Judas in that midst? Yeah. Do you think, doesn't that just shatter everything that makes sense in all of our lives? Doesn't that love just look like love that we will, I can't even understand that because as he, he knows the cross is coming. He knows the garden of Gethsemane is on the horizon. He sees every detail of the pain and the suffering so much so that he cries out to God with sweat falling like drops of blood. If there's any other way, And the very one who will betray him sits intimately with him at the table and partakes of this last supper. Does it look like he loved him any less? No. And honestly, I just can't make sense of it. We, we, we hide so often behind this. I'm just so unworthy. I just can't do it. I can't. Yeah. We, don't, we don't need to go there. Judas was at his table. 
He got down and washed the feet of the one that was going to go turn him in. I mean, everything that he just gushes love, he gushes compassion, he gushes care and intimacy and, 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 and grace and every pore of his body cries out. And why? He doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't, he doesn't want, he knew the expected end. He knew what was coming, but he doesn't want you or I to miss it. He, he has done everything that you could possibly ever hope for to make sure that you don't miss him. But so many times, and this is so heartbreaking, we can just pass it off and go our way and hope that we'll get it another day. Do you not understand that God as king has come down in the flesh for you and for me? Do we not understand that, that, that his expression of love was not just for the ones that were doing the right things, was not just for the ones that were leaning on his breast like the one that he loved, John, uh, we often think about. It wasn't just for the ones that were doing pretty good and understanding it. It was for Judas. It was for the religious leaders. It was for Barabbas. It was for every single person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was every single person for all of time. It was the worst that we would consider the worst. It was the best that we would consider the best. It doesn't matter across the board. We all needed Jesus. We all need him. And it was for all of us. He knew what the end would be. But let me ask you this. Do you? Do you know what the end's gonna be? We know that for the child of God, we know a couple things about the end, right? Because God has foretold that. God in his love and grace and mercy has told us that. He said that there is a better day for his children in the end, don't we? We know that, that there is a, a promise tomorrow for the children of God that's going to last for all eternity. And we're going to get to be in his presence. And his presence and glory is going to be so incredible that we need no other light because he lights it. Tears are going to be gone. Mourning is going to be gone. It's just going to be a time where we worship and worship for all eternity. We know that there is eternity for the child of God. Glory to his name. But there is also eternity for those that don't know Jesus as their savior. But their eternity looks quite different. For those that don't know Jesus as their, their Lord and Savior, we know they will spend eternity somewhere else. But it's not going to be with God. With God, the tears will be wiped away. There, there'll probably be a lot of tears. With God, all the mourning and the sorrow and the struggle will be gone. But there, there'll be nothing but that. 
We know that, that for us, that, 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 that there is eternity. For every person on this earth, there is eternity. And the difference in where that eternity is, is that this beloved God-man Jesus, who came and died and rose again so that you and I can have life, we know he is the difference. But there's a lot of people that still don't know him. And here's what we don't know. We don't know when eternity begins for each and every one of us. We don't know. God has done everything. God has led us. God has guided us. God has said, here is the way to, to be with me forever. Here is the way to be reconciled. We know God has made all those things clear. But the one thing that we don't know is when that day comes for us. We don't know what five minutes brings. We don't know if we'll even make it to service tonight. I don't know if I'm going to be alive for Engedi tonight. Really, I don't know. I live in the realm of assumption and thinking, I'll see you then but I don't know. So this is why God says, don't wait till tomorrow because you're banking on something that's not a guarantee. God has done everything in loving you and reaching out to you. God has done everything in saying, listen, this is my expectations. This is what I want you to do. This is what's going to be best for you. This is the direction I want you to go. He has done everything in order to make sure that we know God has taken care of it all in his glory, even though he is king. And all he says is, I want you to surrender. I want you to submit. If you will run to my arms, you will find salvation, redemption, healing, forgiveness, but you've got to lay yourself down and run to me. And honestly, it doesn't make sense why we would say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. If all of this is a reality and God has spoken to your heart and soul, why would you not do it today? If it's the reality that God says, I've asked you to do more. If it's a reality that he says, I, 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 I've called you for this purpose. If it's a reality that he is, he, is, he is pulling at your heart and he is saying, hey, you need to repent. Hey, you need to be serving me here. I've given you a gift for this. If he's pulling you and saying, listen, here's my plan and my gifting and my purpose for your life. It makes no sense for you and I to say, I'll get to you tomorrow. Glory to his name. That's not what he did with us. In, second, or in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, which is not what we're going to read for the Lord's Supper, but I want to share this with you. And we often share this. As we get ready to partake this morning and remember, we first want to have a time of invitation, but this time of invitation is also a time of reflection. You know, it says... Uh, in verse number, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must, and here it is, examine himself. 
And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. So honestly, I felt like the Lord was just kind of laying on my heart that our invitation time is an invitation time, but it's also an invitation to examine yourself. And I want you to know this morning that this is not a rush time. If, if your examination, self-examination, God says you need to go to the altar and you need to stay there. There's freedom here to stay there. We're not gonna rush you off the altar. We're not gonna make it go faster. We're gonna give as much time as God is leading in your life that needs to happen. That's how long we wanna stay. Maybe you're here today and you say, I have been putting my salvation off for tomorrow. Don't bank on something you don't know. There is a rock that you can anchor to that is always solid, that will never fail. He's actually alive, risen from the dead, has paid your price and came to redeem. There is a rock of salvation that you can rely on. You don't have to anchor yourself to the world of the unknown. You can anchor yourself to the risen savior of the world. Maybe you're here and you say, listen, I have been, I have taken a path that I shouldn't even known about. It wasn't God's path. And I am way off track from where he wants me to be. He's a God who pursues. If you will run to him and you will come to him in whatever capacity that looks like, if that means this altar up here this morning, this altar is open. If that means in your chair right where you are, it's open. Wherever it is, we have the privilege because of Jesus Christ to be in the presence of God, to go into his presence, to cry out to him and to find all that we need. But we gotta go there. We got to submit ourselves. We got to surrender. We got to lay it down. And so many times we, we don't lay it down. We partially do. And then we pick it back up and take it with us. Let him have it. He will do far better with it than we could ever do. But we've got to let him have it. So in our time of invitation today, for me, it's just for all of us. The altars are open. There's no time limits. Nothing like that. Because we're not in charge of our time, God is. Who am I to limit that? So we're going to sing. I want to pray and then we're going to sing. This is our time to examine ourselves, this is our time to reflect and to be honest before the Father. You don't have to worry about fooling me. I'm not that hard to fool. But you'll never fool God. He sees you and he loves you. Run to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, There's nobody who even begins to compare. Fathers, we, we hold this cup and this bread. We're reminded that it pleased you 
to crush your son. Jesus, without you, we are lost. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us when we don't even like ourselves. Thank you for pursuing us when we take the wrong road completely. And I pray, Lord, that there will be many things done in the hearts and minds today, if it is your will, that you may have been speaking to us many days, many weeks before. But God, that we will determine today that when it comes to you, we're not gonna put it off till tomorrow. because you're worthy of our today. Father, we just lift this time to you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.